Thank you, Father, for this time in which we've been blessed to gather together and join our hearts and our voices and sing the name of Jesus. We come to you now, God the Father, in the name of God the Son and in the power of God the Holy Spirit. We pray that your word would prove to be powerful in this, this time, powerful to save those who are far from your saving grace, which is found in Christ power to sanctify, to make holy, to build up, to strengthen believers, those who have called on the name of the Lord. And Father, you have promised that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish every purpose for which you send it. We now open our hearts to you and pray that you would accomplish whatever you want to in us. Take things away from us, build things into us, change us, make us more like Christ. And here at the, the end of one year and the beginning of the new year, help us to seriously reckon with, help us to seriously consider our time and how we're spending our lives. For we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, with thanksgiving, amen. So again, there's the sermon title, Redeeming the Time. And here we are at the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024. Oh, by the way, Lord willing, next Sunday we're starting a series in the book of Hebrews. So just in case you hadn't heard that, that's what's intended to come. This is a good time to kind of tap the brakes and think about your life. How was my life in Christ this past year? How do I want my life in Christ to be this coming year? This is often a good time to make changes. I don't put much stock in, what do they call them, New Year's resolutions. I never make any because I don't trust myself to keep them. I have some comrades in the room, apparently. Uh, but this is a good time to think about, all right, right here is the New Year changes. What needs to be different in my walk with Jesus Christ this year? So we're going to do, this is not going to be what you think. This is not going to be, so I'm going to give you tips on how to spend your time. That's not what this is at all. This is going to be more of a high-flying look at a biblical theology of how humans are supposed to spend their time. First, just humans, and then later, believing humans. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. It will appear on the screen above me, and here we go. This passage has been called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. It's God telling humans before the fall, please note, what he wants them to do. Here's the planet. Here you are, your people. You're alive. Here's what I want you to do there on the planet. This is still in effect. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Creation mandate, or cultural mandate. So that's what we're here on the planet to be doing. There's everything good about doing those things. There's nothing bad about doing those things unless you bring badness, sin, evil, the flesh into it. But those are good things. This is before the fall. God is not telling humans how to waste their time on things that don't matter. No, these things do matter. We're not Platonic, Plato, Platonic, in our spirituality. We don't believe that matter is evil and base and the normal affairs of this world are just base and evil and worthless and we all just want to do spiritual things. 
We're not monastic. We didn't just like, I'm going to forsake the world because it's, it's a waste of time and it's evil. It is evil. And I'm just going to go be in a monastery and all I'm going to do is worship God and subsistence farm and just have enough food to, to eat and live off of. We're, we're not platonic in our spirituality. God made a good earth and an amazing earth and a beautiful earth. It's fallen. It's corrupted. It's under the curse because of the fall. But God gave us a mandate, and the mandate stands. This is called the cultural mandate sometimes, because to do those things, humans had to build culture. So culture is good, except for where it isn't. But there's nothing, nothing bad inherently about culture. And so humans are to develop, well, you name it, science and medicine and education and plumbing and art and music and the culinary arts and everything else, all of those things we're supposed to be doing. This is what humans are to do down here on the planet so that we might exercise dominion over the earth, multiply and fill the earth. By the way, the multiply part's still good. Not many nations believe that anymore. I think you know that just the bare replacement rate, not growth rate, bare replacement rate is 2.1 children per family. America's higher than, all, than maybe all of Europe by far. Uh, we're at 1.9, so we're not replacing ourselves, but Europe's really in trouble, and the nation on the planet, incidentally, that's really in trouble, if you can believe the people I'm hearing. Listen to Peter Zihon on this. He seems to be the world's expert on this stuff. Read his books. Um, and, and he's saying China is really in trouble. They passed the point of no return. Too few children. They're, a pyra- they're an inverted pyramid now. They have very few down here and a whole lot up there in the old category. And they don't have many to come along and be producers. They don't have many to come along and be consumers. And so they're, he's predicting their economy just drops soon. And I'm, I'm like, may it be. That'd be better than us having a war with them, huh? So... Anyway, but that's, we're, we're not happy with 2.1. The Bible tells us to be fruitful and multiply. So lots of babies in the nursery here. Y'all are taking this seriously, so bless the Lord for that. Glad to see that. But this is what we do. We don't believe that only church work is worthy of our time. We don't believe that only Bible reading and prayer are worthy of our time. We believe that developing art is worthy of our time. Listening to music is worthy of our time. Uh, Making good food and consuming it with good friends is worthy of our time. We're doing what God put humans on the planet to do. So I hope you're going to do a whole lot of that in 2024. Build culture. Do things that are a blessing to other human beings. Enjoy what God has given you. We'll see more about that soon. So that's Genesis 1. That's going to be our baseline. Now we're going to build. What, What else should I think about as I'm going into the coming year? There's baseline. There's what humans are on the planet for. But now we're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. I've got four texts in Ecclesiastes that blow me away. I want them to blow you away, if that's possible. And they're, to me, they're a commentary on the cultural mandate. They're, they're a commentary on the creation mandate. Ecclesiastes, also God's Word, chapter 2, verse 24. So the author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. He was the wisest man on the planet in his day. The Word of God tells us so. And the book is full of examples of things he tried. I searched this, I tried that, I sampled the other, and vanity of vanity, all was vanities. But then he gives us statements periodically about what really is good to do with our time, what is good to do on the planet, and this is one of them, Ecclesiastes 2.24. He, he concludes, after trying all kinds of things, he concludes, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
Life gets real simple, doesn't it? You don't, you don't need a Bentley to enjoy life. You, you don't need a pilot's license. I just happened to glance at a pilot, and, and I'd love to have a pilot's license, but it's $10,000. If anybody wants to drop 10 on me, I'd love to learn to fly. But anyway, there, there, but there's nothing better. If you have this, you have it, man, than that you should eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil. You have toil because of Genesis chapter 3. There was work before the fall, but after the fall, work became work. It became sweaty. It become, became laborious. It became toil. But Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, says, learn how to enjoy your work. So when the sink is dripping and your wife says, honey, can you fix the dripping sink? Don't be like, oh, it's the last thing on the planet I want to do. Put it off. No, no. It'll help your marriage if you get right on it. Right? That means I value you. What you need, I'm here to give. All right? I'll protect and provide and love. But more importantly, enjoy it. When you're doing dishes, enjoy. I do dishes. There's a dishwasher right there. I put them in it. Debbie does dishes. I don't. I put them in that. That's what we have that for. I put them in there, but I load that. I'm good at loading that and unloading it. Yay me. But when you're doing your work, don't rush through it to get to something else. Enjoy it. Slow down. Notice what's beautiful in it. Notice what's amazing in it. The sound of water hitting the dish, the way it rolls off of it. Notice things. Enjoy things. Enjoy your toil. So eat and drink. In 2024, what am I going to do? I'm going to eat. Probably more than I should. I'm going to drink, and I'm going to find enjoyment in my toil. Bless the Lord. It's going to be a fun year. I'm going to enjoy it a lot. Whatever your toil is, whatever your job is, enjoy it. We're going to see more about what you can do in your job, but there's more about this in Ecclesiastes. Now we'll go to chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions, that's y'all, and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in the toil, this is the gift of God. So he's kind of saying the same thing, more words. Don't waste your life. Don't waste 2024 being grouchy and grumpy and unhappy and just mean and, you know, not, not fulfilled. No. Spend that year enjoying your toil, enjoying your eating and your drinking, enjoying whatever level of wealth and possessions God has given you power. Enjoy those things. Thank God for those things. Accept your lot wherever God has you. That's where God has you. Bow to his sovereignty. Bow to his providence. And rejoice in this toil. This is a gift. Rejoicing in your work is a gift from God. Enjoy that gift in 2024. Lord, help me. I want to enjoy that gift in 2024. I want to rejoice all year long when I'm doing ministry stuff, because my job is ministry stuff, I want to enjoy. But I have other jobs at home. Fix the sink. 
I'm going to enjoy those things, Lord willing. There's more. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7. He wants us to get this. Here it comes again. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved this. He's approved what you do. It's a good thing to eat a good meal and rejoice in it. It's a good thing to drink, here it is in the text, a glass of wine with a merry heart. God has said, I approve of that. God has stamped his imprimatur on it. So do that in the coming year. There's more, Ecclesiastes 9, 9 and 10. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Amen? Amen, Amen, brothers? All the days of your, listen to this, vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And then he adds to it, he goes back to your work again, whatever your hand finds to do, that means whatever your career is. It might be raising kids at home. It might be doing something out of the home. It might be whatever. Whatever it is, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. There's some good advice for 2024. How am I going to do better with my time in 2024? I'm going to do whatever God's given me to do with my hands with might. I'm not going to be like, right? The kid who doesn't want to do his homework and he's doodling on the page. No, no, no. Whatever God's given you to do, get into it and do it. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going, Ecclesiastes 9, 9 and 10. This is all, to me, commentary on the creation mandate. What are we here for? We're here to exercise responsible dominion, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And then here's more commentary. And by the way, while you're doing that, have joy. Find joy in it. Delight yourself in it. Get into it. Do it with all your might. This sounds like a good year shaping up, doesn't it? Lord, help me to be this person in in the coming year. So creation mandate, Genesis 1, Ecclesiastes, with joy and with, with vigor, with energy, with intent. Now we're going to build. We're going to take a big step up higher. And now we're going to add more of a spiritual dimension to it all, and several passages will help us in that. The first one is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Well-known, well-known text, but here it is again. So whether you eat or drink, what's that? That's what we just saw in Proverbs. That's creation mandate stuff. That's cultural mandate stuff. Your food, culinary arts, what you're going to drink, it tastes yummy. So whether you eat or drink, the most mundane things you might ever do, or whatever you do, up to the most amazing things you might do, now here's the new dimension. Do all to the glory of God. Oh, Lord my God in heaven, help me to spend 2024 doing all that I do to the glory of God. That would be a good year. Some of you are not believers, and I need to tell you that one of the things that you're doing that you don't realize, there are sins of commission. You commit a sin. You break one of God's commandments. makes you guilty before a holy God. There are also sins of omission. There are things he calls you to do, and you don't do them. That's a sin of omission. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not following Jesus Christ, if you're not bought by his shed blood on Calvary's cross, if you're not made new in Jesus Christ, you just need to know that you're spending every second of your existence on earth sinning by omission because you're never doing anything you do to the glory of God. That's why sometimes I've used, some of you will remember this, uh, several times I've used knitting as an example of an activity that can take you straight to hell. 
Yes, you can knit your way straight into hell. How can you knit your way? Knitting looks pretty innocent, you know? I'm making booties for my grandchild. Yeah, but you're not doing it to the glory of God. And every failure to do things to the glory of God is a serious failure because this is a biblical command. But if you're in Christ, you get to do that. You get it. And, oh, Lord, may I spend 2024 just doing everything I do to your honor and to your blessing and to your glory and to your praise while I'm eating it and drinking it and enjoying my wife, the wife of my youth, and, and all the things that we do. Do it all to the glory of God. Do creation mandate stuff to the glory of God. Now, we're going to layer some more over top of that. And we're going to the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And he's going to tell us some things about how we deal with creation mandate stuff. Matthew 6, 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. And then he tells us what he means by that. Here's what the anxious people he has in mind would do. They're saying, what are we going to eat? That's creation mandate stuff. Food. Or, what shall we drink? That's Ecclesiastes and creation mandate stuff. Or, what shall we wear? That's cultural stuff. Don't be anxious about that stuff. Why not? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What do I do instead of being anxious? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Man, I like the math. It's not really math. I like the math in that verse. If I seek first, that's a number, first, then he will add to me all these things. That's a lot of things. So I don't need to be worrying about what am I going to eat, what am I going to drink. I need to be worrying about seeking first his kingdom. He'll give me what to eat. He'll give me what to drink. So he says, don't be anxious. Now, that's easy for some of y'all because you were born not anxious, and it's hard for some of y'all because you were born anxious. You were. Psychologists tell us that. You're familiar with the big five? I'd mention it from time to time. And one of them is O-C-E-A-N. The last one is N. N. This word starts with an N. Neuroticism. Don't confuse it with another word. Neuroticism. What, what is neuroticism? Neuroticism is the presence of what they call negative emotions. And you're, you're born, if you're high in that, you're going to be high with that your whole life. You have to manage it. Someone who's really high in that has a lot of struggles in life with anger and anxiety and depression and worry and fear. They're born that way. Can't help it. And somebody who has very little of that, like, I'm blessed in that regard. I happen to score zero on the anxiety spectrum. So in a room with 100 people, I have the least amount of anxiety, worry, fear, anger, depression, any of that stuff. Just don't experience those things. Actually, something made me mad the other day, and I thought, that's what that feels like. (laughs) The way somebody was treating my father, an insurance company thing, and I was angry. I thought, that's interesting. Wow. I don't know when I last felt that. So it's easy for me to do what the Lord says here, don't be anxious. But some of y'all, it's going to be hard. So let's recognize that. It's not fair. It isn't fair. But it is. It just exists. And so Jesus says, I don't want you spending your life in anxiety. Well, what's going to help me with it? Well, knowing that my Heavenly Father knows the things that I need. So a deep and solid and profound understanding in my soul, in my heart, in my affections, that God is sovereign and 
bowing to him in his sovereignty, learning to say in the words of an old hymn, whate'er my God ordains is right, holy his will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth and follow where he guideth. Great old hymn. That's a person, that's a great place to live. That's a person who's living in a wonderful place. Are, Are you living there? You want to spend 2024 there, not in anxiety and worry and fear and anger and sorrow and depression and everything's nasty. No, you want to spend 2024, even in spite of the temperament that might have been handed to you at birth, as much as you are able in Christ, you want to spend that year rejoicing in the Lord, giving thanks to God, bowing before him in his providence, trusting him that what he brings into your life is right and the right thing for you and bless him for it. So Jesus says, here's what you need to not be anxious. You need to understand your heavenly Father knows what you need, and here's a second thing you need, and you need to turn your seeker. You know you have a thing in you that's a seeker. That's your heart. Our hearts seek things. Our hearts desire things. And he says, I want you to turn your seeker so that you're seeking first. Now, the word first means first. It's, it's ordinal. It's putting things in order. You do this one before those. You're concerned about this one before those. This rises to the top. That's somewhere down lower. So what do you want to spend your 2024 doing so that you don't have anxiety? Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. God will take care of everything else in your life. That's a pretty great promise. So all the cultural mandate, creation mandate stuff you're doing with Ecclesiastes joy, you're also doing now to the glory of God, and you're also doing now free, much as you can be, free of anxiety and trusting in God and bowing before him, and now you're seeking first the affairs that have to do with his kingdom. Boy, this is shaping up to be a good year. That's, that's a good 2024 that we're packaging right there. Spend your year like that. It'll be a year well spent. How'd you do in 2023? Look backward for a second. Ooh. No, I want to do better this year, Lord willing. Paul picks up on this over in 1 Corinthians 7. Two passages there that I love. Here they are. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. He's talking about should you marry or not marry, and he's kind of urging that you don't marry if you have that gift. And then he says, verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What's he talking about there? You need to know for a second. This is not the point, but you need to know this. So when we go on, it'll make sense. What he's saying is now that Jesus Christ has come, now that the first advent has occurred, now we know that there's not just an indiscriminate, unknown amount of time out there. Now we know that he's come once and he's told us he's going to come again. And there's a limited amount of time. We don't know how long it is. They perhaps thought it was going to be very like in their time. And if they thought that they were wrong and he never told them it would be in their time. That's just what they might've thought. But Paul is telling them the appointed time has grown very short. Others think this means that uh, the appointed time in your life, like you're going to die soon. The time in your life is very short. All right, either way, here's what he says. So from now on, we're looking into a new year. From now on, what are we supposed to do? Don't abuse this. Let me explain this. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Hmm, what does that mean? 
And let those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, what's, what's all that about? We need to take each one of these phrases, these clauses. What are you talking about, Paul? Let those who have wives be as though they had none. I have a wife. And if she says to me, honey, can you, can you vacuum my car? Because I've got to pick up a lady and take her to the lunch thing, and it's leaves in there and stuff. Can, can you vacuum my car? I, I, don't, I don't say to other people in the room, did you hear something? No. Or she says, you know, I, I need, need a new pair of shoes. Would it be okay if I get a new pair of shoes? She wouldn't even have to. Of course you can get a new pair of shoes. You wouldn't have to ask. But suppose she asked me, can I get a new pair of shoes? I wouldn't be like, who are you? No. What are you talking about, Paul? Let those who have wives be as though they had none. He's saying that. Obviously, elsewhere, he says, husbands, love your wives. How, how intensely? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is what husbands are to do for their wives. So he doesn't mean you now have biblical warrant to ignore her. What he's saying, though, is you should be in some ways like a man who's single. What's that? She is not the center and the focus of your life. Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God are. This is helping you put things in the right place, in the right perspective. Don't, don't put her in a place she doesn't belong. She can't sustain that place. Only God can sustain that place over you. But Paul's saying, you ought to be in some ways like a single guy. How's that? We'll see in a moment. And verse 30, and those who mourn. Now, mourning's for real, right? Serious thing. Probably hardly anybody in this room who hasn't had to mourn something. A loss, a personal loss, loss of a loved one, a loss of a wish or a hope, a desire. And, and we mourn. To be human is to mourn. But he says, let those who mourn be as though they were not mourning. Well, I can't just turn it off. When you're mourning, you're just mourning. It stops when it stops. There isn't much you can do to make it stop. It has to run its course. Even all the Bible verses in the Bible about rejoice can't just turn your mourning into joy, right? But he says, let those who mourn, you have a legitimate cause for mourning, be as though they were not mourning. Don't, you can't be like everybody else who's mourning because you've got some other things going on in your soul because you're a child of God. Let's go on. And let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. What are you rejoicing about? Well, our daughter, we don't have a daughter, but our daughter finally met a guy that we like. Rejoice. And whatever you're rejoicing about, so great I got the job. And yet, be as one who's not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Why? Because it's all passing away. Explain this, Paul. What are you, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean? Here's what he says, verse, chapter 7, verse 32. Here's where I'm going with that. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Jesus, Matthew 6, don't be anxious. Cultural mandate stuff. I want you to be free from anxiety. So you're a husband, and you get some anxieties because you're a husband because you've got to care for your wife. 
But he says, I want you to be free in some ways of the full burden of anxiety. What do you mean? The unmarried, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And he should be, and that's good. But his attention is somewhat divided. I've got a Lord and I've got a wife. She needs some of my time. I love her. She deserves a, a big chunk of my time. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And that's good. She should be. But this is why Paul's arguing that if you have the gift, why don't you just stay single and just give all your time to the things of the Lord? Just, you don't have to do things for your wife. You just do things for Christ. Just serve and minister. Don't waste your singleness on selfishness. Spend your singleness in the kingdom of Christ on the things of the Lord. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what are we learning now? So we've got a creation mandate, culture is good, build culture, have babies, build things that, that benefit other people, do good stuff on the planet, enjoy it while you're doing it, do it to the glory of God, don't have anxiety about it while you're doing it, trust God, bow before his sovereignty while you're doing it all year long, and furthermore, now Paul is teaching us, and make sure you have lots and lots and lots of spiritual interest while you're doing it. So, whoa, we just stepped up a couple rungs on the ladder. Now Paul's saying, not only are you doing your plumbing to the glory of God, but now I also want you engaged in kingdom endeavors. Once you're reading your Bible, once you're spending some time on your knees in prayer, once you're engaging in edifying and scrumptious fellowship with other like-minded believers in Jesus Christ, once you're gathering with the people of God for worship, I'm preaching to the choir, you're all here. I want you investing yourself in other people, lead, leading a Bible study, leading a group, opening your home to, to host the Bible study, evangelizing friends and relatives and neighbors and people at work. So now I, I want you to have all those in your focus as well. I want you to be like a single person and how they could give time to that. So instead of saying, I, I need to be home every night of the week with my wife, you and she have a talk and you agree. She says, you, I, I'll be fine if you go out on Thursdays with that evangelism team. So you're being in that limited way like a man who has no wife. You're not sitting home on the sofa with her that night holding her hand. She's agreed it will be all right if for kingdom purposes you go spend some time out there. And the wife has to be willing to, and the husband has to be willing. Go, baby, go do that. All right? So cultural mandate with joy, not anxiety, and now investing in the kingdom of God. There's more. Let's go to Matthew 28. We read this earlier in the service. Jason apparently chose it, and he didn't know I was going to have it, and I didn't know he was going to have it, so you're going to hear it a second time. Is that all right? Is it okay to hear a Bible verse a second time? All right. Just checking with you. Good people. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I like the King James, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Now the Great Commission gets layered over the cultural mandate. And so now, how am I supposed to be involved in the kingdom? That's how. I'm involved somehow, according to how God has gifted me and the opportunities he's given me. I want to be involved somehow in making disciples and growing disciples and strengthening disciples, leading people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, building them up as strong followers of Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission, and Christ promises his powerful presence, all authority, with us to the very end in that. So while engaged in the cultural mandate with joy and not with anxiety, and while seeking first God's kingdom in that, doing it all with a kingdom focus, now we also want to make disciples. Now that command, by the way, is not given to you in its entirety individually. In other words, you are not responsible to go to all the world. Most of you are never gonna baptize anybody. Who is this command given to? It's given to the church of which you are a part. So it's one body but many members. So you do your part of the member you are in the body of Christ, and they do their part, and all together we wind up leading people to Christ, baptizing them, and growing them into strong believers. So thank God this is not, the whole burden of that command is not on me or on you, but it is on the church, and you're part of church. So we want to spend time doing those things, making disciples. We want, in 2024, we want to be a church that leads many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples. We want lots of water in this pool. We want to baptize lots of believers who have come to saving faith in Christ. We want to teach them to do everything Christ has commanded them. What are you going to do in 2024 at Cornerstone Church? Those are the things we're going to do. We're going to bring in. We're going to build up. We want to be those people. And we want to raise up sons and daughters who have all of this in their makeup, all of this in their soul, all of this in their intents. We want to raise up sons and daughters with a kingdom orientation who seek first the kingdom, who want to make disciples, who are excited about that. We want to raise up boys and girls and believers who do that. Now, we're going to come back to the opening passages. We've got two more passages, Colossians and Ephesians. Let's go to the one in Colossians. Actually, that's the only one I have. We're going to go back to the one in Colossians, 4, 5, and 6. And Paul's going to zero in on that making disciples part and give you some specific advice on how to do it. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders. We usually call outsiders non-Christians or unbelievers or something. His term in here and a few other places is outsiders. So he's talking about people who aren't saved. They're all around you. They're where you go. They're in your family. They're where you work. They're where you, where you play. They're at the gym. So you don't just happen to be there with them. He wants you to walk in wisdom toward them. Well, what would be wise? Making the best use of the time. All right, so I have a little time with this guy this week, and and he wants me to make the best use of it. Well, what would that be? Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Let's start there. Don't turn them off to Christ and the gospel by your social boorishness, by your lack of grace, by your lack of tact, by being just overly blunt, 
No, let your speech be gracious, so they feel lots of grace in it. But then, I love this next phrase, season with salt. So, if I could grab your tongue and pull it out and shake some salt on it, <laughs> would you know there's salt on your tongue? Yeah. You, would, you would taste it, wouldn't you? You would, feel, you would know it's there. That's what he's saying. Let them taste the Christ that's in you. Season your speech with salt. Let it be gracious. Don't be a boorish person. But season it with salt so that when they're done the conversation, they're going, mm, there was something in that. And it was something about Christ, something about God, something about heaven, something about hell, something about eternity, something about the emptiness in their soul, something about the word of God, something about how much you love going to church, something about the kingdom of God. Season with salt so that you may know how you, how you ought to answer each person. So they say, hey, Steve, what are you doing for Christmas? Now I need to know how to answer that in a way that's going to be salty <laughs> and gracious. There's a skill. There's an objective for 2024. We've come all the way from the cultural mandate, have babies and subdue fish, and we're, now we're all the way down to evangelizing friends by gracious, salty speech in ordinary walks of life. That's something we can all do. This is a command for all of us. Every one of us. Oh, Lord, help me to have gracious, salty speech. Help me to know how to answer each person so that I have something to say that gets their attention for the kingdom of God. So it doesn't mean you pull up at the gas station, there's another guy at his truck on the other side of the pump. He's, he's pumping gas too. And you lean over there and you go, hey, are you saved? That's probably not the idea. What was that lacking? The gracious part, right? Yeah, that's a little bit boorish. But you might get to talking with that guy. Especially, I know a few of you, you can't leave the gas station without talking to somebody. And you wind up in evangelistic conversations everywhere. I've had lunch out with a few of you, and you, you're evangelizing the waitress, and it was all gracious and normal. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? You're better than me than that. Bless the Lord. We have evangelists in our midst. And they're just good at it. They're seasoned at it. But this is to all of us. So I want to spend my, my 2024 on these things. Walking in wisdom toward outsiders. My speech being salty yet gracious so that we might make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey Christ. So what have we seen? How do we want to use our time in 2024? Here's a, here's a review. We looked at the cultural mandate. We looked at Ecclesiastes, do the cultural mandate with joy. We looked at Jesus in Matthew 6, cultural mandate with joy and not with anxiety, but trusting God. And then we went to um, seeking the kingdom first, do it while you're, while you're doing the cultural mandate. Seek the kingdom first. And then we went to, and redeeming time to say salty words to people who are without Christ. And that, my friends, is a good year. And if we all spend our year that away, we're going to have people in this pool back here. We're going to have new converts. And we're going to have a lot of joy in our hearts, right? So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless all of us that we would have a God-honoring 2024. Bow with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy presence and in your word. We pray that it would be effectual in lives here today. 
pray that people who are far from Christ, those that Paul called outsiders, we pray that you might draw them inside today. You might draw them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Even now, right now, Lord, may the Spirit of God effectually call them into your kingdom and into your glory, and may they bow the knees of their heart and confess Jesus as Lord. And Lord, by your grace, many of us have, and we pray that you would help us to spend our 2024 profitably, most profitably, to your honor and to your glory, to the blessing of our families, our friends, our people, and all who are around us. Oh Lord, give us a spiritually profitable 2024, and may our church, by your grace, see many people brought to faith in Jesus Christ. For we ask it all in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.